Wardcast, episode 93, go. I'm Dylan Alvento, and today I'm joined by a special guest, Jay Tholen. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks. Awesome. I should have done the thing that I'm supposed to do is ask if I'm pronouncing your name correctly before we started, but... Say it again. Tholen? Yeah, that's how half, like, that's how all of my family says it, so... I think the real pronunciation is Tholen, but we don't say it like that, so... Okay. Do people in uh, Germany pronounce it any differently? They pronounce it the proper way, <laughs> Tolan, because uh, it's a Netherlands. It's uh, from the Netherlands, so they would say it Tolan. So, yep. Well, Jay Tolan, Tholen, <laughs> uh, designer and developer on Dropsy and now on Hypnospace Outlaw. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, lots of work lately and stuff but i can't complain it's pretty fun work so i'm doing well though yeah i've been seeing a lot of your gifts on twitter of a hypnospace outlaw and it looks crazy cool and crazy fun thanks yeah so uh we, we i think on we were talking on twitter about like game like art design of like harryhausen films or like games that had ah, a harryhausen yeah. film art style and that's how we got talking and then like i brought up brazen some other people were talking about some other games yeah but uh, I uh, I want I wanted to bring you on to just talk about you know your 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 experience with with Dropsy and and getting that from the the prototype that it was to the finished product that you can you can buy now. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about you know your your inspiration for making Dropsy? Man, that's kind of a long story. So um, the sprite for Dropsy, uh, which was this sort of evil clown looking guy was from a game in 2003 or four that I made um, in the click software, click team software. I I think it was multimedia fusion, but it was a zombie platformer. And there was a, I mean, you know, you got to give me a break. I was (laughs) 16 or 17 or something. So, but, but there was a circus level, and Dropsy was going to be a boss at the end of it. And at that time, he didn't have a name. He was just a boss. And like many of my old projects that I never finished that. Um, so I had this sort of paint BMP file laying around. And in four years after that, in 2008, I, w- I was uh, wanting to make like a choose your own adventure little game uh for a forum uh for something awful um on their sort of main forum a lot of people would do these ms paint games where you'd post a panel and then the posters would reply and tell you look in the dumpster or go left and so you would draw the next panel and so on and so i made uh, a little sort of you know choose your own adventure game with that dropsy sprite and i i wanted him to be you know a gentle giant or a nice nice guy then um and the community through a lot of their suggestions sort of shaped what he became i mean <laughs> of course i didn't take all of the suggestions 
I took the nice <laughs> suggestions. <laughs> Give him a gun. Yeah, yeah, like rape stuff. You know, uh, not funny. Yeah, but yeah. So, so I just I took the suggestions I thought that fit with his character a little bit, and I, and that a lot of that became what's in the final game. But yeah, that's where it came from. And then, um, I did a Kickstarter a couple years after that to to maybe to fund a little game uh, or to fund an adventure game. I wanted money to buy uh, the newest version of the Click Team software, like Multimedia Fusion. I forgot two maybe. And um, and that software is really not very good for making adventure games. It just doesn't have any built-in pathfinding. You can't even find good pathfinding from example files it's just not not really good for that kind of thing um but yeah i didn't know at the time and i did a really tiny kickstarter for 225 dollars and and that succeeded actually a lot of my family and friends contributed but um and so i just really from that point i just started working on the lore and and all kinds of planning and you know uh and from that point it was a slow uh some slow progress until the game finally came out after a few more kickstarters right in 2015 the game came out so yeah yeah so you had you had two other kickstarters after that one which the second one didn't succeed yeah. correct nope yeah and that one that one was for 25,000 yeah that one was for 25,000 that was in the middle of 2013 and i you know i just did, at that point i was a high school dropout and I didn't have any experience with jobs other than telemarketing. So I know it sounds like a big deal to say you quit your job to do this, but and I did to do this Kickstarter, uh, the failed Kickstarter, but it wasn't a big deal because I had had, you know, eight telemarketing jobs or whatever before that. So I always knew I could just get another one if I needed to, but I was really trying to break out of the telemarketing small town cycle thing right and this is when you were you were still in florida yeah i was living with my dad it was it was a pretty rough situation because we were we were rural like really rural and when my car would break which would happen frequently then my jobs would be like sorry you're not making it here uh you obviously don't want to work here and then it would just be this cycle of like this car breaking and then me trying to save up some money to get out of there and just nothing working out. So I kind of saw, you know, for someone who actually has some kind of schooling or something, I could see quitting your professional career job as being a bad thing. But really, I think yeah. it was the best thing I could have done at, at that time. Yeah. So. Right. Just because, I mean, the stakes were relatively low for you, I guess. I mean, like if someone goes through college, gets a professional job and they have, you know, they're, they're saddled with all this debt and right. then they decide they want to quit their job to work on games. It's kind of a, a different proposition there because, you know, you're not building the proper safety net for you, for yourself. Right. In yeah, that for sure. And that, that's why, like, I think I sometimes hesitate when people ask like what I did, you know, before games or something to say that even because it, it almost builds up this very cinematic mm, right yeah story thing and that's not really how it was just me and my dad were like poor and i was paying him a little rent 
but like it wasn't I was just coming from from no, having nothing so so it wasn't like I was risking anything you know so well I feel like you have you have a lot of the the fairy tale like portions there because you know you had a kind of bringing yourself up by your bootstraps kind of with the game like slowly building an audience through something awful for it to develop into dropsy and then also the you know quote-unquote quitting your job you know even though you say you like you just said you don't recommend people doing that depending on their situation right and then also the kickstarter success it all did come together very nicely because like a few months after that failed kickstarter you know i was then unemployed and my dad is like oh you know are you sure about this and but he 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 my dad though he saw the value in this game he doesn't even play games but he he really thought there was something to it and so he was like yeah i keep doing that yeah and i I think my mom was the opposite where she doesn't she didn't live with me she they were separated but whenever she would come by and see what i was working on she would just shake her head and be like son have you seen what games look like these days (laughs) you know they got the realistic graphics and everything and you know i and and she drives buses with a lot of student tours and so she sees a lot of talks to a lot of kids about what they're playing and sees they show her what they're doing and stuff and and she's like i don't know anyone who's playing these things you know sometimes people play on their phone but so the the target market just my mom just doesn't overlap that them ever at all you know so so she didn't really see who in the world was ever going to buy this thing her son was <laughs> thinking what might help him you know start a career so she right. would always give me this sad look and like suggest that i go to this technical school near her near her house <laughs> which might have been uh, not a coincidence and yeah do nurse nurse assistant something i don't know but yeah, so, but no, yeah, it worked out. Uh, it was really, really a, a lot of good things happened all at the end of 2013. I met, I started dating my now wife back then too at that time. And just all kinds of great things happened at the end of 2013. It was, it was a shock, you know, just doing the same stuff for almost 10 years. And then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, something is working, you know? That's interesting, especially like, you know, with the way like modern like indie development is working like everyone's expecting you know to it to be a very short trajectory from making their games to reaching success right yeah however they define it and you know you, you look around and you know a lot of the people who that no name indie developers probably aspire to be or aspire like look up to for inspiration like maybe they they don't see like the entire path that these other developers have, have taken and whether it's like, oh, I actually worked professionally in game dev for a while and then did this, or no, I, I was tooling around with game development for a long, long time before any sort of success, whether fiscally or otherwise, came along. Yeah, for sure. And I think even fiscally, though, for most people, what I think of as success would not help them be sustainable. But I had, you know, I didn't have so much that I needed uh, needed to survive, so... For me, that was success because it was making at least as much as I made doing telemarketing, which, right, you know, which was fine. But yeah. So, so is that what the entire Kickstarter was for? Is basically your your salary while you finish development on Dropsy? Actually, I should have. So that first Kickstarter, I was asking for twenty five 
Uh, and then the second Kickstarter, I was asking for, I, I bumped it down to 14, uh, but it ended up making a little over 25. So that was nice. But I asked, I, I, I mostly was asking uh, for programming help to hire someone to help program the game. Oh, okay. Uh, with the Kickstarter. And I think other than taxes and rewards, I had a little bit of money from my telemarketing job saved up a little and so i could survive a few months uh after the kickstarter but um uh yeah really the thing that helped you know if if we hadn't have been published i i think also maybe it would have failed to be honest even though i did the kickstarter (laughs) just right just because i would have had to have found a a job and that would have just slowed down progress i mean I think it would have come out eventually, but I don't think it would have been as high quality of a game as it if I hadn't found a publisher. Right. So. Or, or as you said, like would have taken a significantly longer amount of time. Yeah, because it's hard to get. You know, I grew up in in this click and play click team community. Uh, you know, which click and play software is similar to Game Maker or you know those construct. Yeah. Um, but you know, from the nineties. <laughs> And so I remember when a lot of the a lot of these guys were all in high school and stuff and just collaborating was a thing you did like there because there was no need to make money yet for most of us. We just made games together. And and so I think I had this idea, wrong idea when I first started making the game that I could just find someone to collaborate and program the game with me, you know. <laughs> And uh, that just wasn't going to happen because, uh, you know, people have lives and they have to support themselves. They can't devote half of their life to a thing that's going to not produce for them, you know, financially. So, yeah, if like if like the the question's still up in the air, whether or not they're going to, you know, seek money from that. Yeah. And and they don't know if when it comes out, anyone's even going to buy the darn thing. So. So yeah, that was why why I asked for program uh, for programmers help with the Kickstarter money. Cool. Um, and at that point, the the game was still like the final version of Dropsy was that still in uh, the Click Fusion software? Yeah. So I had made a series of little prototypes in Click Team Fusion just to show how I would like it to feel. And there is even a prototype where you directly control them with like a controller, game controller. Okay. Um, not like tank controls, but you. <laughs> we'll call that Grim Fandango mode. Yeah, yeah, not not so. You know, you just press up and he goes up and down and so on. But but um, and I thought that was kind of cool because I, I always kind of don't like how adventure games feel to play. They're not very tactile. You just click and then wait for a thing to happen and stuff. So I was excited about that, but uh, it it doesn't it didn't work out so well. You, you you had to make thing design things in such a way that that it just I don't know it wasn't working out for for a more traditional adventure game. But uh, yeah, so that was and I made the world map how I wanted that to look. And then once <laughs> there was a lot of big bumpy road with the programming help also. But once we got our final programmer programmer in uh and uh a jolly corpse it's this company who came in and helped me and it's these two dudes that i knew back in the click team community and they have their uh, game company now where they make games together and um 
in 2014, at the end of 2014, they came on the project and uh, to help because my programmer was, he was having a hard time in his personal life. And so he, uh, he really wasn't able to do much of anything. So these guys came on and just really saved it. I think uh, Jesse, Jesse Bull, um, he's an artist. He did most of the NPCs, most of them, I would say. Uh, I think I did maybe 20% or something or 15% and he did the rest. He's a great animator. Um, and he also did project management, which <laughs> okay. was amazing. Like, I am really bad at doing things in a timely manner, uh, just really bad at it. So he really, we worked super well together and... For some reason, with how he structured things, it just made it really easy, you know, for me to get stuff done. Yeah. So, um, and then David, uh, who did the programming, those two guys, when they came on, really, uh, we made the whole game in basically a year. I mean, I had all the, some art and some, and all the story and stuff before that. So there was a lot of planning for many, many years, but the whole game game came together sort of from the end of 2014 you know, until when it came out in 2015. So, yeah. Sorry, I rambled. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's it's it's what I want to hear about, and I'm sure it's what other people want to hear about too. Because I mean, that's that's why I like bringing developers on is kind of hearing specifically about like the nitty gritty stuff. Because I feel like indie developers like yourself, like everyone I've had on who is an indie developer, is very open about talking about their process. But I feel like people who are interested in doing indie development either aren't formatting their questions in the right way or like they know what they want to hear but they don't know how to ask the question right and indie developers really want to answer the questions that people want to have because they want people that come after them to have a much easier time yeah but uh so they have the information but they don't know what information to give to the person that wants to receive it it's really important to hear from people like yourself about you know all the, all the things, all the trials and tribulations and all the all the things you had to deal with to get your game from the early stages from a, you know, something awful forum prototype, you know, yeah, yeah. choose your own adventure game to to what it is now. So, when did this switch come cuz I, I assume you you did or you didn't want to uh make Dropsy like a choose your own adventure game just like basically like that. Like when did the adventure game format come into play when you wanted to make it a full full game so in 2011 uh that kickstarter i really i wanted to make it an adventure game then like a point and click that decision was made back then because i just felt like the art style already lent itself well to that um and i think i really wanted to make it more narrative like more not narrative but less puzzly than it ended up being. Um, I really, the original design, you barely solved any puzzles. There was mostly just optional puzzles. And you just walked around this world and helped people and then discovered on your own sort of the the events that unfold in the game. Um, just just by looking at things. Uh, there was no like central narrative arc other than you understanding 
who you are and, you know, things like that, um, slowly by just seeing things. Uh, there wasn't a lot of gating or something. Um, and then once the, of course, this wasn't ever created. This was just in my brain and on paper what I thought would be cool. Because if there's one thing I don't like about adventure games, it's really the puzzles most of the time. I, I, I will agree with you there. I will definitely agree with you there. I don't, I just don't even, like maybe back a long time ago when I could only, you know, my parents could afford to get me like, two games a year or something or i had a few shareware discs or something and that was all i had to play like it made me more be more patient with these things and then i i'd spend more time mulling over these puzzles and then i'd feel rewarded for figuring them out but now i don't know i just i look up walkthroughs um you know i don't want to see story spoilers but i really don't care about the puzzle if i start having any trouble with it i just look up a walkthrough are you like that with um, other games as well? Yeah, like I- any adventure game. You uh, you mean, oh. Mm. Just like if a game's too difficult and how whatever the gameplay mechanic is, are you just like, all right, we need to either yeah, get a walkthrough like or Yeah, like if I'm having down. a hard time, like with a, I don't like cheats so much anymore, but I really, even when I was a kid though, I just cheated a lot. Like I just looked up cheat codes to get past hard stuff because um, I just wanted to see the worlds and the things. I, I I never really cared so much about getting becoming skilled or whatever, though I do appreciate that more now. Like in in Zelda, I've been uh, just trying to play without looking things up, and it's been pretty re- rewarding and stuff. So doing that, and I respect that design, but especially in adventure games. So when I don't enjoy the core. Um, gate gating mechanism which is figuring out hard puzzles i i just look it up right yeah yeah it's interesting how breath of the wild doesn't have any sort of difficulty selection or anything like that i I wonder what kind of balancing they went through to determine it's like all right this is hard enough for it to be challenging but it's easy enough to like not send people into misery trying to enjoy this game yeah yeah i don't know I think they did a good job at, like, uh, introducing the mechanics and, and um, I don't know. I, I really haven't played many. The last open world game I really played much of was New Vegas, I think. <laughs> so it's been a while since I've even done an open world. I fiddled around with Mad Max and I messed around in The Witcher 3, but I... I've been working on things all this time. And so I just, while I'm playing those games, when the world unfolds in front of you after the intro and you realize how long it's going to take to do anything, like I I just am like, eh, I'm not going <laughs> to do this. I start getting guilty a little too. Like I, I can't invest all this time in this game. But f- for some reason with Zelda, maybe it's because of the Switch just came out and it was my first console since the GameCube so I was really excited to like get a console again and a Nintendo console and so that was one time I allowed myself that wow that's your first console like across the board since GameCube yeah I mean I went to friends houses and stuff and played some consoles but because we were rural and it was just really hard just to get well most of my friends moved to different college towns and stuff so 
back home in Florida, like I wouldn't have anyone to play with, even if I did have a console. So my PC, I played computer games, but um, yeah, no, no consoles since. And it was partially a money thing, uh, but really, um, I just wanted to wait for the next Nintendo thing. I always was telling myself I was I was going to get a Wii, but then I don't know, something happened. I was just. I, when when the rumors started coming out that they were working on another thing, I was thinking, I'll just wait for the next one. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So going back to the, the what we were talking about before with Dropsy being an adventure game, so you're saying that like early prototypes were much less about puzzles, and that so what was the what was the onus for like making it more of a traditional puzzle or adventure game and adding more puzzles back into it? Well, when a Jolly Corpse um, came on the project. Uh, the two dudes, Jesse and David, we were going, I felt bad for Jesse because the way I, um, organized everything was very non-traditional in terms of documentation. And so I made a lot of big spreadsheets and stuff that just to him looked like, like nutty ramblings or something and (laughs) i think he was having a hard time parsing it and figuring out how to actually make this into some game puzzles in my brain it was very clear but yeah of course i i don't think it it did a good job it it didn't emphasize the most important information in terms of puzzle design it was because it mixed a lot of lorey things in there so we were talking and he was stressing out about it and so we went through puzzle by puzzle and like drew up another document and then it still retained some of that sort of lack of puzzliness but then once we started making the game itself uh but that that revision did include more puzzles because um but anyway sorry once we once we started put implementing uh it became pretty clear that we needed some kind of narrative arc to happen more um and there was there was a narrative arc like the whole time plan but it was very subtle and and a little slow and stuff so when i took the game to pax which is really just bad to show an adventure game at anyway but when i took it there um a lot of people just didn't understand why the heck they were this clown and what the point was like they wanted something to drive them more than just that you want to help people um and so i was i was i was pretty i was becoming convinced um to shift it into more of a traditional adventure game um i definitely had some rules i kept like i don't want any combining items um cuz that just exponentially increases the amount of if you're a person who plays by randomly clicking objects on other objects and environment things then that just exponentially increases the possibilities so people who play in that way would just go crazy so so i i wanted to uh keep that stuff relatively simple but the little animals were basically the only gating thing in the in the original design you know so the the dog can dig things up and the the uh, mouse can get under get under things or in small areas and the bird can go to high areas 
And so that was sort of the gating mechanism, whereas then you could re-explore the world and find the other little secrets. So we implemented more of that into like real puzzles. We turned those into, uh, used those characters for more real puzzles and made more of a, yeah, a, a little more action, action-y story that happened and stuff, so. Cool. So, so when you brought the packs, was like the, the, the mother's death not a story point at that, at that point? Or is, was that added after the fact? Or is that something that existed? That, that was, that was in there the whole time. Uh, but there was no, at the beginning, there wasn't a birthday party for her or anything. Okay. So it was just in the, the story. And you could find out by exploring and stuff that, that she passed away there. But And there's a photo album that you could look at, which I think, it, yeah, that was still in the game, the photo album. But um, uh, we added later her birthday, uh, like you celebrating her birthday by, you know, you color her picture at the beginning and then, and then you visit her grave. Yeah, and then your father or whatever is like, "Hey, go here and give your mom this um, picture for her birthday." And it's surprising how many people. I mean, he tells you, "Go to the graveyard and give it to her," but it's surprising how many people don't put it together. They just think, "Oh, she's in the graveyard," <laughs> not <laughs> dead in the graveyard. But anyway, right? But then she's that, just hanging out of the graveyard. Yeah. But that's uh, kind of cool, though, because then once they get there and they see the little, the pictures from the prior years that Dropsy drew her for her birthday on her grave, then then they're like, oh, and it sort of uh, adds a lot of color to these characters, I think. So um, that was that was a really good little change that we were able to um, able to implement to give people some reason to start leaving the house you know um that's why that was put in there really and then you pass by everything that you need to see for the first puzzle on your way to the grave so so which the first puzzle the first story progressing puzzle i actually really don't like <laughs> i really want to change it but yeah <laughs> designer's work is never done yeah it, I mean, it's really bad design. You're required to hug someone who doesn't want to want a hug, um, and that's never a thing in the game. So it's kind of like if you try to hug people, they will reject you. Most of them will reject you at first, but then if you try to rehug them, you'll just get the same reaction twice. So when you meet this character, you have to kind of hug them twice, uh, and. We tried to do some things to point, to give players the idea to do that, but because Dropsy's so nice and the character is so miserable, most people just don't want to give him another hug because <laughs> it's mean, you know. So, um, right. I figured they would think, "Oh, Dropsy's oblivious to this," you know. He just thinks everyone would like more hugs, but it's really a not a great first puzzle but after that i i think i like most of them after that one so um i played about half an hour of it uh when i picked it up the other week and um i think i got to that first puzzle and i was kind of stumped but in my head because i i went to the grave like i kind of walked around town a little bit um like saw the cop in front of the store saw the kid like thinking about music or records or whatever um 
and then went to the like costume store and tried hugging the guy in the chicken suit and then he got mad and then saw the spat with him the store owner inside and then i walked back to the to my house and the dad was there and then the chicken flies away with the tire and i knew the chicken didn't like me earlier but i helped it but it was like nursing its kid and that it's it's interesting how much interpretation you can make through the symbology and the text balloons yeah there'd be no text right because i i mean because it says that like the chicken says something to the effect of like dropsy face does not equal my child and i was immediately like oh i need to get the chicken suit to do something here i don't know if that's that's the correct or if that that's the that's first person you're talking yeah. about okay yeah so uh so I was like, okay, I have to, I have to get the suit somehow. Yeah, yeah. The the chicken is like, or the whatever it is, bird thing <laughs> is like, you're not, you're you can't come up here. You're not a one of me, or you're not my baby, or right. you're not a you know. So, and when you first enter the scene, you see the the chicken mutant thing like fly down and pick up its baby and fly the baby up to the tree. Um, mm-hmm. So so we tried to put little hints like that, but. The this the thing you do to solve the puzzle is just not doesn't line up with what we teach players. So right. So that that's my one puzzle I don't like. The my favorite puzzle is the one I won't say much about it. So you don't like if you keep playing so it doesn't spoil it. But is these little uh, you have to get an object from a secret lab and there's robots uh guarding it and it's just a really cute little clever puzzle and it was created most like it was kind of a little dry and we had me and david and jesse had a late night like skype meeting about how to give it some pizzazz and we were just kicking around ideas and i forgot who had the idea but someone just had a really cute cool little idea and it's like my favorite thing about the game if you want me to tell you i will but everyone just go play the robot puzzle it's really has a cute part in it um uh, you know what i want to i want to keep that surprise by myself because if you said uh you said if if the puzzle design um gets a little uh better after the first puzzle or gets a little different i want to i want to go back and try it again Eh. And and but um also if you look on your map, uh you'll always see what the story moving puzzle will be because there's a lot of these optional puzzles to hug people. Um, okay. So if you look on the map, there's always there'll always be a blinking icon that's like, uh, this is what you should do to move the story along type of thing. Got and it. fast travel also becomes a thing eventually. So yeah, I I saw the nodes on the map like when I visited my mother's grave uh dropsy's mother's grave i was like oh these notes can i click on these and they weren't i guess they weren't interactable or weren't active at that point yeah you Um, don't no fast travel at the beginning but yeah because we wanted players to like sort of familiarize themselves with this world stuff and mm -hmm. then so later they they would uh see something and then it would remind them of something in a different area so Mm -hmm. because if we if we allowed them at the beginning people would just sort of randomly click and then they could just easily miss one like crucial scene by 
just going to where they think they need to go, you know, so. Right, yeah. Because yeah. walking through the other scenes, like, adjacent to the puzzle scene would, like, give them hints into yeah, and it was it was nice. It, it's a little bit stressful, I think, at the beginning, realizing there's so many scenes. And I don't, we didn't really know how to alleviate that too well because um, it's part of the core design. Like you just walk through these scenes and and you familiarize yourself with, oh, there's a playground here. Oh, there was a flower in that other scene, and you build a little library of the, the geography or something in your brain. So I think later on it becomes quite rewarding to when everything starts coming together and you're like, oh, this whole area is for this reason and that weird thing I saw before is for this and then it makes more sense and stuff. But mm -hmm. yeah. I um, Since we brought up the map a second ago, I would just want to say that's probably one of my favorite maps in a long, long time in a video game thank you i just lo love the design of that map world maps are st God, I, I just want to make a world map game like with fun <laughs> world maps because i think it's my favorite was my favorite thing to draw in that game they're just so fun like because you're just making a nice little world now that's before you have to go through the checklist and fill it in with all kinds of art assets which is not as fun because yeah but making the map it's just so nice and the map um it went through a few iterations and the cool thing i think it's cool about the map is uh what i did is i pasted all of the scenes into um uh, a image editor and then i scaled them down i pasted all oh. yeah and then i drew the map over it now it's a little squished vertically um, right. But it makes sense in terms of, uh, you know, uh, your orientation. Like north is usually north. Like up is usually north and down is usually south and all that. So. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I really like the way it looks. I like its kind of isometric viewpoint that it has and the clouds that kind of act as like a fog of war. Yeah. Yeah. Is is really cool. Because it's it's interesting, like like you're saying before, map design. It's kind of it's hard, like determining the borders of the entire world map, and, right. and you see and you see games do it well, and you see them not do it well. Like Legend of Zelda, is there water on every side of on in Breath of the Wild? I don't remember. I think north there's some there's like a big canyon that you can't cross because the wind will just keep blowing you, and then. Um, so if you try to fly to the other side of it, the wind blows you back and then you'll run out of stamina eventually. Um, and then to the, that's to the north and to the west, there's more, I think there's just more Canyon that you can't fly across. And then there's endless desert to the south. Right. Never eat soggy waffles. Southwest. <laughs> Because that's where like the camel, the divine beast, walks yeah. like into that the mist over there. Yeah, and then you can keep trying to walk, but I think something happens if you go too far. I don't remember. Probably pass out or something, and then just spawn back in the safe zone. Yeah, something like that. But I think it's really neat how they. I like that there's no mountain that you just hit or some right. invisible wall. It's just nice to feel like there's more beyond the edge even though there's not 
<laughs> or or like in Grand Theft Auto where it's like every side is just surrounded by water. And so you're supposed to be like in a city or in a state, but right. it's an island. And so there's kind of dissonance here of like trying to rectify what what this landmass is supposed to be. Yeah, that's what I ended up doing with Dropsy. Just it's an island, but which uh, it's really it's a very video gamey island. So I because I made too serious lore for this goofy game, um, there's some plot that didn't really make it into the game that this was some abandoned like theme park thing from the 50s like a very mm-hmm. failed disney so <laughs> so and then people just moved on to it later or something like that so that didn't make it anywhere in the game but it's in my brain so. <laughs> and now it's on this podcast yeah so. now it's on the podcast true fans will know yes but is it but it's not like it's not an island in the literal sense, though, right? Because, like, I can see, like, landmass underneath the clouds. Like, when the clouds shift a little bit, like, outside the borders of, like, the game map, there is, like, yeah, It's visible. pretty much all c- surrounded by land. Now, up toward the north, it's pretty big, like, area there. So, maybe you didn't see over the edge. But it, it's a, mm. it's a, it's pretty much an island, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and there, there, there are a few little islands, like, in the off the edge of the world too that you can get to but it's pretty much pretty much an island yeah okay and though yeah i think if you haven't uncovered all the areas maybe the clouds go over the edge so it looks like there might be land that connects but nah it's an island i did the gta (laughs) (laughs) yeah but man you got cloud cover and the cloud cover looks super cool so you got one over on the housers good well that's good then because then maybe people wonder oh look at i wonder what could be passed here i think that's one of the reasons i did it like that too is i think in adventure games i always saw like cool stuff in the parallax layer or something and then you can't go there it's just in the parallax layer and then you're stuck in some ratty scene with nothing interesting Mm -hmm. so because this is just a finite world surrounded by water all the parallax stuff is just actually accessible like if you're in a scene south of like the city you'll see some buildings and then you can go up and see them in the city or you know stuff like that so because i just wanted to make it like nothing that you can see is inaccessible because that bugs me i can understand that so um another thing i wanted to talk to you about um because Dropsy was was published through Devolver, and I know a lot of a lot of a lot of indie devs like are always like, okay, how do I, how do I, I, I hear you need a publisher, or I need to, you know, I don't know anything about marketing, so how do I, how do I speak to someone that can can do all that stuff for me, or how do I speak to a publisher? Um, what was your what was your process like for? Did they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? How, how'd that all go down? So, um, at the end of twenty thirteen. Uh, in that second Kickstarter, the one that didn't fail, um, Rock Paper Shotgun ran an article about the game. And that was towards the end of when they would cover Kickstarters, I think. Maybe they do every now and then now, if it's notable. But right, um, yeah. it was really, that article was why the Kickstarter succeeded too. Um, because back then I didn't have many friends on Twitter or anywhere. And and so Twitter was okay, an okay help. Uh, I did what I could, 
but the rock paper shotgun article just brought a lot of people and also devolver saw that so i got an email though from someone at devolver and i googled the email address and the name of the person and just like everything to make sure i wasn't being tricked or something (laughs) but because i just couldn't believe it and like um just i couldn't believe it you know and and so i uh I very, very quickly just jumped on that and was because I was worrying a little bit about, you know, um, marketing. I I didn't have many connections or anything, so I didn't know how to even start with that. So that was just amazing. And and yeah, I, 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 I made sure to very promptly reply to them. And we had a little Skype chat where they ask more about the game and honestly like i am very very surprised that after they asked me to send them a scope and schedule document and you know um (laughs) i didn't know what the heck that meant really um so i just put something together in google docs whatever i thought they meant by a scope and schedule document and it wasn't what they meant but they still wanted to sign me so that's good um (laughs) and honestly like it was a pretty bad um pretty risky thing on their part i think because i didn't have any games published or out or anything full games out to play you know i i was making this in click team software you know so you know and honestly, if those guys from A Jolly Corpse didn't hop on the project the next year, you know, they, they might not have got their game. But um, I was really, really thankful that they that they hopped on. And Devolver, because of what I just said, um, they are very hands-off with their developers. They let you just make your game. Um, and then at the end, they'll provide some testing and help with marketing and and give you some feedback and stuff. But that really scared me while making the game because uh, especially in the first year when I was having those problems with the programmer because it felt like being in some weird long-distance relationship where I didn't know if they were going to dump me or what. And and I'd get the occasional, how's it going, email. And I'd have to, you know, try to figure out how to say in the best way possible that we've made almost no progress (laughs) you know it was really rough and so um thankfully they just stay stuck with it and uh you know those guys jumped on board and it turned around but uh but yeah they're they're great i like them i think they're good good folks Cool. And then, and then after, so were they like, we're going to start marketing like when you hit X milestone, like when you're, I don't know. Yeah. I think ni- what, 90% done. Well, yeah. What they wanted to do was just make sure like that the game that I knew roughly when I was going to be done with the game before they did any marketing, because I think they're used to working with people like me who are out a year later than they originally think 
or whatever, you know. So, so at the point where I was able to say with certainty we'll be out within these couple months, like uh, August, September um, of 2015, at that point they did like a, I think, I don't know, six months in advance, we did like a preview thing where we sent the game out and did previews and that was around when that i went to that pax also um and started just getting some early attention and then um we would have done another pax but both me and the the people at devolver didn't feel like it was just the best investment so uh instead of that uh, i just went around to i went to san francisco and did a press tour and so that just means I just made appointments at the different gaming magazines and, you know, gaming sites and just sat down with them and showed them the game and stuff, which was cool because um, I listen to this podcast, Idle Thumbs. Yeah. And Danielle Riendo ended up being the person at Polygon who talked to me about Dropsy. And so I was like, okay, this is pretty much going to be in her wheelhouse, I think. So that was really cool. And uh, I got to meet someone I had heard of before. And I think that was very effective. Um, and really, if, if, if I, I wonder why more developers don't try that. Like, I don't know if it's just impossible to get appointments with these people, but I imagine it's not. Um, if you can get them on the phone or something like Maybe instead of a PAX, if you have a slower paced game or something, maybe it would be better to do a point like go try to set up appointments physically because you're going to have to fly to a PAX anyway. You might as well just go directly to the press people. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since a lot of them are so concentrated in either like New York or uh, or San Francisco. Yeah. There's so many of them in San Francisco and then so many YouTube people in the L.A. area. Right, yeah. Too. So if you could just hit those places and just go have some fun gimmick thing maybe and try to attract the YouTuber people to be on YouTube with them or something, I don't know. I've This next game, I'm really hoping to get, you know, I would love to work with Devolver again. I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm working on a prototype to show people. So uh, that, because I still don't, I don't, even though I've learned a lot about marketing, I... I would let, rather leave it in the hands of a publisher just for st- stress reasons. <laughs> yeah, and um, and did are they pretty open to to working with you again? Is it after Dropsy was out, where they were just like, if you want to? I think they were happy with Dropsy uh, as a game, so I think they would be. Uh, I mean, they did they did back the Kickstarter, so that's a good sign, <laughs> I think. Um, but um, oh, for hip for Hypnospace, yeah, they backed the Hypnospace Kickstarter, so. But I, I I don't know. Maybe. Um, who knows? I think they, they definitely have to look out for their business. And so if they think it won't bring in enough to be worth it, then probably not. But I guess that's the decision, you know, what you have to deal with. Devolver seems generally more willing to take risks on weird stuff because then on the off chance that it gets that it becomes popular because it's so niche and weird then they have something you know so um i think i think that works to my advantage it being weird so yeah yeah a lot of the indie publishing labels seem to be about 
the tone and matching games to their like house brand or their house style like with devolver or yeah devolver definitely has a little bit of a an image or a style you might say Um, or adult swim i feel like does the same thing yeah i agree yeah i think team 17 has a pretty broad um group of games um and they're Mm -hmm. they're uh they're pretty good people too i think you're yeah. saying it's not just all worms over there? Hmm. <laughs> no. Oh, do you know about their publishing thing? Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know it very well. They, no. They're publishing. They've published Overcooked and. Um, oh wow! I didn't know that. Yeah, and they're publishing um, the Escapists, which is another guy from the Click and Play community who made that. Oh, cool. And so a few other games, quite a, quite an array of. Oh, and Ukulele. I think they became the publisher for that too um okay but yeah they, they're branching out into publishing too and Sweet. Uh, it's got all this worms money gotta put it somewhere yeah, yeah yeah um but yeah i think it's a it's a pretty good i mean even though it's difficult like it's always been it's still and it's and it's still a really good time to be someone making weird stuff um yeah i mean of course if 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 you want it if you want to make very inaccessible personal weird stuff and it's highly unlikely there'll be a market but if you can do some kind of thing to make it appeal to a broader audience and you feel like that you're still retaining some integrity then i think it's a really good time you know i mean there's some projects that i i wanted to make but i just felt like I have to, that would be very personal, you know, and, and I just really feel, I don't feel like I'm selling out, but I, I think I would be willing to make the compromise of something maybe I would be a little less excited about, but that other people would actually want to play, you know, in a broader sense, yeah. I guess. So Kind of the starving artist quandary. Yeah, you got to have that little compromise, I suppose. And, yeah. you know, I feel like if I get to a point where, I can, because right now I feel like the, a lot rides on this game, this next game succeeding because Dropsy has a nice little tail on it. I mean, I so it's helping me survive somewhat, but I don't think I have a lot longer to go, you know. So I, I need, to, I feel like I the, a lot rides on this next project, and I, and I would just really like to escape that that stress. Yeah, that constant like okay gotta hop right to the next thing i would like a little break in in the middle of it <laughs> it would be nice yeah your new game hypnospace outlaw i am super mesmerized by because it's like some oh what did you there was a word you used on the on the kickstarter page for it it's, i frequently said alternate reality operating system i don't know yeah, but there was like there was like a genre, there was like a style cyberfunk. of cyberpunk. That's <laughs> yeah. what it was. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, man, that's a good that's a good term. You say you don't you not confident in marketing. That's a that's a good term. Good, good. I wanted to have something that wasn't an existing art like vaporwave or whatever that I could call it that was catchy. So I thought that was catchy. It's cool. So tell me more about it. So it really is morphing. Um, as we make it um but i think good not good games some good games don't do that but i think 
a game like this should morph as you make it. But so basically the pitch right now is is you have an alternate reality operating system and internet um, and you play the role of a volunteer uh, sort of moderator of this internet. You're called an enforcer because that sounds more important and interesting, I guess. But um, so like a Pax enforcer, you wear a kilt. Yes, like a Pax enforcer. <laughs> no, no utility kilt though. Oh, okay. So, but um, now in the so in this world, it's the future. Um, sorta maybe I don't know. I actually haven't decided if it's the future. I'm going back and forth on if it's like an alternate reality late '90s where the VR, uh, sort of the VR craze of the early '90s actually developed into something, or not. I don't know. It might be the future, but well, you definitely have to have like a Virtual Boy esque screen then, some like red yeah. vector art. Yeah. So vector art will play probably a role in this in the boot sequence or something oh sweet so so in this world you're in it it's definitely an alternate reality world alternate history world not a uh not our timeline but you work for a sleep time social network is what they what i'm calling it and that is where you wear this headband when you go to bed and then you can access this very low-resolution internet as you sleep. Um, and it's like lucid dreaming, but a computer projects these things into your brain or whatever. And so so um, it's basically some weird social network mixed with, like, GeoCities, like those old build-your-own-website yeah. things. Uh-huh. And you're a moderator of it. So you... You get you have an inbox and the dispatch or whoever will send you a message saying, "Hey, there's some people on Hypnospace are using uh, an image of this cartoon fish from the '50s, and there's been a claim from the company that owns it. You have to go go find all the pages with this fish on it and get them removed. And then so we have a an event." a pretty dynamic like event based system in the pages where if you if you go find like some people will have some really sad things with like this fish on the page like it'll be a memorial to some dead relative of theirs <laughs> where the fish was their favorite cartoon or something like that and there's different zones in this internet so like there's a, one more geared towards old folks and they get like adware a lot and there's one like a hip one with like these a lot of made up art movements like vaporwave that just cycle and then people very quickly hate the old art movement anyway but in this little puzzle i was talking about or this little job that you get you have to go um find instances of this detective fish (laughs) cartoon from the 50s it's just something i made up and um If whoever you decide to, you know, you have a little, there's a little toolbar and you click on this little hammer and then whatever you click on the, the law that you think is being violated. So they add a law to your list of assigned laws. And this law would be, uh, some kind of, uh, intellectual property violation. So then you click that and then you can hammer an element on a web page and like the screen will shake once you've hammered it. 
and then it'll check if there was indeed a violation. And if there was a violation, then you get money uh, for it, which you can spend in a lot of places in this world. And it's fake internet money, though. And the um, the person gets reprimanded uh, for that violation, not so badly, but there's some things where people get sent to like a punishment zone where they have to watch like ads a lot and stuff <laughs> like that. Hypnospace has a lot of partner brands that like to help um, color the world or whatever. So, so, but then um, after you turn this person in, um, if you go back and visit their page, uh, they will have reacted. Uh, and, um, if you keep like this specific person, if you keep bothering them, maybe, uh, other people in their little zone will start like sticking up for them and be like, Hey, why do you keep picking on this person? And then they start maybe after a while, they'll start like having like a little conspiracy about like what's going on here. Why, why are you picking on, uh, this person? person because they keep re-uploading the fish image basically <laughs> so you keep having to so they and they get the totally wrong idea as to why the this person keeps getting into trouble they think it's for some other persecution or something so 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 there's a lot of little scenarios like that that we're filling this fake internet with um and there's a broader story but I'm kind of almost doing the thing I originally wanted to do with Dropsy, which is just make this cool world thing to go look in and, um, and, you know, find all the little nooks and crannies and details and, and just a very playful thing, I guess, you know, yeah, playful world. And there's, you can change, you can download screensavers and all that stuff, cursors, wallpapers themes we implemented themes and uh, this is all also very easy to mod um so we're gonna do a lot to try to because i think people really will, will like like capturing gifs of their pages they made or something and sharing them because it's just easy and fun and looks funny so so we're gonna uh, i really been trying to figure out how to shift it into more of like a territory of giving people some creative con control yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cool. You definitely have like a tone you're trying to hit with your pieces, like very kind of. I don't know if if like satirical is the right word. Like you know, dropsy is very oxymoronic because it's 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 very macabre in a lot of ways, but it's also very like joyful and some other ones and like kind of that dissonance there is kind of saying a lot. And then with this, it seems like a lot of satire of like you know current culture and things like that a lot of, a lot of what like dystopian uh um writing tries to do or, or yeah or i think it's very lighthearted dystopia maybe or something like that's what i want all my dystopias to be lighthearted <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of it'll be relatable i think to things going on today like the content id stuff with youtube and stuff maybe. yeah but um also i think it's the central thing is just the people who inhabit the place, uh, hypnospace. And I really don't want there to be like, um, like one thing that one reason I really just stopped posting so much on something awful is just people 
rip other people apart just mercilessly and and like i can't imagine and people who often it's people who are on these corners of the internet where they really don't they're not used to internet people and so like some dumb redneck guy or like for an example this lady made a made a really awful like grotesque website as a tribute to her baby that was miscarried and so she had these pictures and it is funny in a way but it's sad but these pictures of her miscarriage with like angel wings superimposed with some bad graphics program and stuff and like poems to this baby and either this person like this obviously was just a horrible thing for this person to where they they felt like they should make this page and tribute to the baby they lost or whatever and 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 like i can't imagine that but then when you put it on the internet and then you have a bunch of these nerds just mercilessly like mocking you and they started emailing the person and just it was just like i couldn't believe it like like this is a real person like maybe they have a mental problem or something like you don't know what's going on with them like why they would post this or, yeah. or even people who deserve it or you know deserve it in quotes like people uh i don't know like I putting have, hateful stuff on the internet or just, yeah you know. but there's no way to know what the heck is going on in their in their life it could be like a 15 year old behind that who who is just has the worst like home life ever and and maybe if you were someone who you know maybe they inherited these political ideas from their family and maybe if you were someone of the opposite persuasion who showed them some kindness because maybe they have a hard time at school or something and maybe they wouldn't maybe they would see that you know you're you're not some kind of monster you know it, it would because i mean that's happened to me i've had people who you know, had the opposite viewpoint um, do something that I thought was uncharacteristically kind of them. And it really made me think like, oh, maybe this person's not an enemy. I mean, I used to like listen to Rush Limbaugh and I was like super conservative when I was like 17, 18 years old, you know, so like, and I've changed quite a bit just because of the kindness of people and being able to talk and stuff. So, I mean, that's possible. And, and I think, um, I think I just want to not be very preachy about it, but in a lighthearted way, just remind people that these people on the internet are actually exist and they have their own dreams and their own reasons, you know, why they do these things. And maybe not everyone is super deserving of empathy, but you just can't know like as a person on the other end. So, yeah. Yeah, my um uh one of my colleagues uh, Dan Cotting who's sometimes on the on the podcast, he talked about last year how like people learn through parable. Um and sometimes the parables have to be kind of not realistic. So like, you know, the story that you're telling with Hypnospace Outlaw and like these actions that you have the player make are removed enough from their daily life that they can think about it in the abstract, but then they can later make these connections to things that they are actually doing in real life to make it kind of take hold. 
Yeah, I think so. And Dropsy, in a way, is like that, too, because you're just this... <laughs> you just want to help these people, and it doesn't really matter how deserving or whatever they are of it. <laughs> Dropsy doesn't really uh, discriminate in that way. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, and that that will be a thing, but I think it's, a de I guess, a delicate balance with the writing is to not be too... Like, like, while all of these people, I think, do deserve some understanding, um, you know, some people definitely also need to, like, have some be dealt with or be corrected or something. So I think, I think even though a lot of these laws will be goofy that you'll have to enforce, I think I do want to put in you legitimately helping people a little bit too as your job uh because you're a moderator so so maybe you can do you can do some nice things but that's gonna take like some you know uh testing and i definitely don't want the game just to be like a message game i just want it to be uh a game maybe you know pretty relatable uh with a lot of different types of people in it in a colorful world to play in. I mean, that sounds awesome. Like, that sounds like a great aspiration to have, both, you know, trying to make it not too heavy, but, you know, trying to make people enjoy it for on the surface level, but still have... Yeah, I feel like if it didn't have any kind of, like... I I would feel... I don't know. I think I'll, I would be an old person one day, and if if I didn't put any kind of good thing someone could take away from it, when I'm old, I would be like, what did I do with my life? You know, <laughs> or something. I mean, not to say just games that are fun for the heck of it are bad. It's just, you know, that's a lot of work to put into all these little projects just to be cynical or something, you know? Yeah, I, I agree entirely. Yep. I, I, and I try to, I try to uh, achieve the same thing with my work. And I don't think I am going to, we are going to beat... <laughs> the emotional impact of that last five minutes because that was pretty freaking cool you talking about that i do want to ask i, I do want to mention that you are going to gamescom to show off hypnospace outlaw yeah is, is this the first time you're showing it off so i mean i've i'm i'm not um showing it at a booth i'm just bringing my laptop and i'm gonna make some appointments with some publishers and maybe maybe even some press people just to meet with them on the side um but i don't think i want to big time promote it with the press yet until um things are more final because <laughs> i don't want old screenshots to get around and then at launch day i'm like no those are a year old <laughs> right so but uh, the assets those aren't the right assets yeah oh my god i redrew that it looks 10 percent better now anyway so but um, I do want to talk to some publishers and feel out, you know, what they're thinking, maybe get some feedback and s some direction to take. And I really want I want to have it out in like a year, I would say like a year, like next August would be a good goal for me, I think, and a doable goal. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing right, right now. I'm crunching to like get uh, a nice presentable demo thing to show them i i just finished making a few fake commercials 
for in-game <laughs> commercials. They they're like AOL yeah. old AOL commercials or whatever. Uh-huh. I'll link you. I'll I'll link you later if you want to see. Oh, but, sweet. But oh, yeah. yeah. So so I'm I'm just trying to pizzazz it up, fill it with a lot of like cute stuff that looks appealing. So yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I'm going to uh, Super Smash Con uh, at the uh, middle of next month. And um, where's that I'm, at? I'm, it's uh in Northern Virginia. So I'm in Central Virginia. I'm in Richmond, and uh, it's in somewhere in Northern Virginia, right near DC. Ah, cool. Yeah, I'd like. I mean, I've been I've been trying to stay relatively local. Like, go to a state or two over. Like, we went to PAX East and did a panel, but I haven't I haven't shown anything at PAX yet. But uh, I've been to a couple places. Uh, like in, I've been to a place in Raleigh and a couple places in Virginia, or I've been to Magfest. Uh, uh yeah, I, I, I bought tickets to Magfest three years in a row, and every year I sold them because I just couldn't <laughs> do it for whatever. Dude, you should reason. come. You should come. We hang out. And yeah, I really want it, to. It's, it's gonna be. It, it's awesome. The last, uh, this past mass Magfest was my first experience, and and I loved it. Now it's much harder to get over there though, because yeah, Germany being in Germany, yeah. <laughs> There, there's that whole ocean thing yeah i i am going to fantastic arcade though yeah yeah i um i'm thinking of applying to show uh my game peak there oh that would be cool yeah what if yeah. maybe we'll see each other maybe but i'm um if you if you can make it there i don't know but i it's when i'm gonna be in the u.s anyway so it works out timing you just gonna head over there and, and take a look around what they got yeah, well, I've been to two of them, uh, or three, two, I don't know, but I really like it. It's really nice. It's very small in a way, in a good way. Um, so, and it's not, because it's mostly film nerds that go for the Fantastic Fest. Um, and also, Elijah Wood was there um, the last year I went, and I was too chicken to give him, tell him about my game. So my now <laughs> wife and my friend went, and told him, and I was like hanging out around the corner, <laughs> and, and they gave him a card where I wrote a Steam key in crayon on it, and I don't think he ever played it, probably. But yeah, that's my fake Elijah Wood encounter. But he goes to it every year, so maybe oh, really? I'll, I'll actually talk to him this time. Uh, I wonder <laughs> if he'll be there peddling his uh, his VR thing. That, he, that they showed up E3. I would not be surprised because he goes to the film thing, and I think he yeah. DJs at two or something. So, man, there's a whole different side of Frodo Baggins I never <laughs> yeah, knew. Yeah, that's yeah, funny, but yeah, it's a cool event. I like it. Yeah, well, then I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna look at it again, see if I can see if I can show uh, peak there, and uh, yeah, that's also why I'm crunching because the deadline for that's around around Gamescom. So, same. Oh, okay. Same time, I gotta have this finished. So. <laughs> and when, what are the dates for Gamescom? Oh, uh, the twenty somethingth of August, like the twenty sixth okay. or eighth or something. Cool. Which right, is so nice because that's just like an hour and a half by train from here, so that's quite easy to get to. So. And it's in Cologne. Yeah, Cologne. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yep. Sweet. Awesome. Well, I hope you have a a lot of fun at that and i mean you should definitely uh, we should if you're ever stateside nearby or wherever at the same convention we should definitely meet up say hello yeah for sure remind me if if i'm on twitter saying i'm going to a thing and then you're <laughs> going to the same thing or something. 
Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Jay, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, it was awesome talking to you about your experience with Dropsy and Hypnospace. I think I learned a lot, and I, I think listeners will have learned a lot, too, from from your experiences there. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It was pretty fun. No problem. And if you ever want to come on again, uh, hit me up. We can we can have you on again maybe after Hypnospace Outlaws out, and we can talk about that game some more. Yeah, maybe. Sounds yeah. good. All right, cool. Well, thank you, Jay. All right, well, thank you. <laughs>